The U.S. men's national team are fighting for their first post-World Cup trophy this June. They meet Mexico first on June 15th in Las Vegas, and then likely Canada on the 18th if they prove victorious in that semifinal. The team now has an interim to the interim manager named this week a former Philly Union guy, BJ Callahan, who will be steering the ship until further notice. BJ dropped his roster for those matches yesterday afternoon. Elsewhere, in Major League Soccer, your favorite Philadelphia Union are deep in a groove, turning around a rough start to this season with an eight-game unbeaten streak, now sitting third in the Eastern Conference. To reflect on the U.S. men's national team, yesterday's roster drop, the state of Philadelphia Union, and the fate of Yanks abroad, I am joined once more by fan favorite, local Philadelphia Inquirer soccer man, Jonathan Tannenwald. For the sake of time stamping, this episode was recorded the evening of Thursday, June 1st. Jonathan, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm busy. I'm I'm in a fine mood. I'm not sure I'm as, in as good of a mood as your favorite Ohioan is, but you know. My favorite Ohioan, for those who, who may not know, is Jason Kelsey of the Philadelphia Eagles, who graced Subaru Park with his presence last night. JT, did you talk to him? How was how was he doing after his crushed beer entry? I, I did not I did not talk to him. I don't generally talk to pregame drummers. I did talk to Stuart Finley, okay. the player when he showed up. But the, the drummers tend to be escorted in and out. And that's usually that. Kelsey was in the stands in the river end weeding a rendition of No One Likes Us, We Don't Care, which was pretty funny. Because I think there are some number of Eagles fans who think they invented that, and they, they really didn't. The communists invented that, as, as some people like to say. I think Kelsey Paint might owe them a little money for a new drum mallet because he broke the mallet. <laughs> what, I mean, where are you going to rank his drum performance to all of the drum beaters you've seen? Look, for, for pure power, it's number one. Yeah. For, for See, I prefer, I being the rebel in the flock of sheep, I prefer it when a soccer person is there. Mm. So for me, Brendan Aronson coming home last summer for the game against NYCFC in the regular season. And then Carly Lloyd doing it for the Eastern Conference final last fall with her former Manchester City manager, Nick Cushing, staring at her from across the field. That to me is still number one. Yeah. But there's a lot of people out there who will say that Kelsey is number one for them and that's their personal choice. So I think Carly Lloyd would be warmed to hear you say that you're her number one choice for for banging the drum. I'm not I'm leaving that bay alone. Okay, so we'll get into Philadelphia, but I want to start by getting your thoughts on the more recent news that dropped, which is the 23-24 rather player Nations League roster that former Philadelphia assistant BJ Callahan, now interim manager of the US men's national team as of a few days ago, unleashed on the world. So, Jonathan, I know you were in that press conference. You had questions, well, at least one question specific to a certain missing Mark McKenzie, formerly of the Philadelphia Union. I want to get all of your thoughts, but let's start with that thought. How surprised were you that Mark McKenzie wasn't there? Uh, Yeah, I was surprised. Um, Who would I have dropped? You know, did it maybe come down to Mark McKenzie or Austin Trusty? I don't know. I, I didn't get that far into it with Callahan, and Callahan said, I. I had to call Mark and tell him. I said I had a, it's a hard, hard conversation to have with him. I can tell you that he was understanding, he was professional, but at the same time, and what I would expect was that he wasn't happy. At the same time, I reassured him that I have a pathway for him to continue with the men's national team. This is no way a door shut for him. 
I'm guessing he'll be on the Gold Cup squad. I I I was surprised. I, and I think I was I was surprised as anything because maybe Luca Della Torre has called in out of necessity and he's still got a game to go on on Sunday and McKenzie does too. The last game of the Belgian league season, the last game of the Spanish league season for Della Torre. So I figured, okay, maybe it's that. Well, Della Torre is there. Is that because Tyler Adams isn't there and they need midfield backup or whatever? I don't know. But, you know, the camp starts on the fourth. So is it because guys are up against it in Europe? I, I guess McKenzie's going to be on the Gold Cup team and is. And th- this is part of the thing with me. And I was on with, with Jason Davis on Sirius XM a few days ago and I said this to him. And I'd say it to you too. It's two games. BJ Callahan is going to be in charge of the A squad for two games over a week and a half in a camp. It's not that much. Yes, they they should win the thing. They got to beat Mexico in the semifinal and beat Canada or Panama in the final. But it's not, I don't take this as being the end of the world. I see the September window when the new manager is going to be in charge as the real starting line here. I think that's valid and noted on the end of his season clashing into the start of this camp as a potential reason. Although, as you said, Luca De La Torre kind of, kind of nixes that, but he's in a different position. The center backs that are in camp are Chris Richards, who potentially could see his first cap since January 2022. The reintroduction of Miles Robinson, who was injured, was that last May? Um, he ruptured his Achilles and and went from a presumed starter to missing the World Cup. We haven't seen him. Oh, we did see him since. We saw him in March when he made his reintroduction. Um, Austin Trusty, who debuted this March, also a former union guy. And then Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, I hear you on not knowing exactly who he'd replace, but arguably he's the most informed center back in the pool. Um, so yeah, we'll see him in Gold Cup, but I think he, for me maybe you agree is the only big surprise, but do you have other big surprises here? uh, I I would, I would, I would say one other thing about Zimmerman because Richards, Richards has not played a lot for Crystal Palace of late. And I would have hoped that he played against Mexico, but then again, it's Mexico. So I don't know. Do you go Zimmerman Robinson? Because you need one experienced guy out there. If you have Tim Reams healthy, then the whole equation's different. It's so Zimmerman's the veteran guy. And then who, who, whether he plays or who plays next to him, I don't, I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, Zimmerman and Zimmerman and Robinson were also, it seemed like the pair by the end of World Cup qualifying. They were the starting pair that we were going with. So they def- they also have familiarity with each other, if that's what we're going for against Mexico. I, and I think I think honestly, just about the only other surprise to me in the lot was that Gio Rain is listed as a midfielder. And what that means might not ultimately be worth anything at the end of the day because it depends. Whether you think a winger is a midfielder or a forward, it used to be the one and now it's the other. Uh, looking at the rest of this, I mean, I think what actually, what honestly stands out to me is how many guys are injured. Adams, Ream, DK, Sargent, Tillman, Malik Tillman, to be clear. Timothy Tillman is now also at some point going to play for the United States. Acosta, Carter Vickers, Stefan, Horvath. That's a long list. And so, you know, is it going to matter that is it going to matter who backs up Matt Turner? Probably not, as long as he doesn't get injured. And then Sean Johnson is the number two. Who's the third guy? It's going to be Drake Callender or Josh Cohen, who's got a great story. And I guess we'll learn a little bit about, excuse me, where his level actually is. There's 
There's 24 guys in camp, and the roster is going to be 23. If they cut anybody other than one of the four goalkeepers, I'd be surprised. Usually we'd go from four to three, I would reckon, and and Callahan sort of hinted that that's what he was going to do. The rest of it, 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 is it too much to say it writes itself? Because I think it kind of does. No, I think that's fair. Did he say anything? I can't remember about Gio Reyna being listed as a midfielder that kind of went under the radar in all of this. It, it did not. It, it uh, he, he didn't. He had a lot of other questions about a lot of other things. And I think, you know, is, is Reyna a midfielder or a winger? Is Aronson a midfielder or a winger? Does it not make a difference? With Mark um, McKenzie off this roster, does that say anything to you about how much input or say or what kind of hand B.J. Callahan, the interim of two days, had in, in any of this? Is this his roster? I, I don't know. I, I mean, as I said, I think so much of it writes itself that, you know, did he, did he have to make a decision there? Yeah, probably. But um, if it ends up mattering, we'll know. Because for once, this is a U.S. this is a U.S. team that can win this tournament with offense instead of defense. A beautiful development. I mean, line it up in theory. Uh, Turner, Dest, Robinson, Zimmerman, or pick whoever your center back is going to be. Dest, sorry, Biles Robinson. I mean, Anthony Robinson on the left, Sergio Dest on the right. Dest out here, and if Dest is not in game shape, then Joe Scally plays on the right. But Dest obviously is trying to attract some suitors so that he can get out of Barcelona and where he's now coming back to from Milan. And then I would assume Delatore McKenny Musa. And that's the big question is who goes in there for Tyler Adams? And how do you play that? Is it a double pivot with with Delatore and McKenny? Is it Cardoso? Is it Johnny Cardoso instead of Delatore? But other than that, you know, or is it Musa McKenny and Reina in front of them? And then take your pick of I assume they go Polisic Balogun Wea with Zendayas and Aronson and Pepe coming off the bench. That strikes me as enough. Maybe even more than enough with the form the Pepe's in. Zendaya sets up Pepe for the winning goal against Mexico and Vegas. Chef's I think guess. we can write about that a little. Yeah. So BJ Callahan, I want to get your insight on him specifically because he was Jim Curtin's assistant for five years, I believe it was. And previous to that, he was working in the highly touted Philadelphia Union Academy. How well do you know him, JT? Not overly. Not as well as I used to. I chatted with him earlier this year when he went to Europe on one of the scouting trips and caught up with him some, which was nice. I haven't really talked to him in great depth. I'm not going to Vegas because it's a nice bunch of stories, but I don't feel that I absolutely urgently need to be there. Between that and the fact that the two U.S. games are going to be on Paramount Plus, maybe that tells you some things mm-hmm. about whether or not how, how much this really matters, you know? When it gets to the fall and then they're playing Germany and then they're playing Copa America qualifiers, maybe that matters a little more in the grand scheme of things. But I was, it's funny, I was, on the day I was on with Jason, I was listening to his show on Sirius and everybody's all his colleagues are saying, who is this BJ Callahan guy? I've never heard of him. And, and I shot the producers, a friend of mine, and I was like, if you need anything, just let me know. It's like, yeah, no, I, I know a little bit about this guy. He's not some random dude off the street. He's not any of the internet people who convinced, like, I was talking to just like, who gets the credit for Fuller and Balogun? Is it, is it Anthony Hudson? Yes, I think it's Anthony Hudson. If it's not, what are we going to, is, is U.S. soccer going to say the fan base gets all the credit for Fuller and Balogun? I don't think that's how it actually works. I hate to be a grouch, but I don't think that's how it actually, you're shaking your head. It's radio, but you're shaking your head, I can tell. I mean, clearly, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But it was a nice touch in the 
unleashing of that information to nod toward <laughs> the yes. fan base. Yes. Yes. Nice, nice, nice little pile of catnip there for a few minutes. No, I, I, this is a guy who has clearly taken his turn as an assistant coach with the union and then with the U.S. national team, gotten to know all these guys pretty well. And he, he admitted that not all the contracts are signed yet for the assistant coaches for this camp. So that will be an interesting announcement as much as anything. Yeah, that was a very interesting anecdote as well, I thought. I I mean, I would think that Mikey Varas will be there at some point, certainly for the Gold Cup, if not for this, given the number of younger prospects that will be, you know, that will be on the Gold Cup team. And so, um, you know, what, how does that play out? I, we'll see who sort of the tactical brain is. Uh, Callahan is renowned as a film room walk, which for a fan base full of analysts, I would like to think would be well received. That's interesting. Um, he's, he, you know, he knows, he knows these guys pretty well on a personal level. A lot of them, that's got to help. So then he's just got to pick, you know, he's got to pick, uh, he's got to pick, 11 starters and five subs for two games. I think he can do that. He talked today about how he's, you know, been getting ready for this. And now the, the difference is the buck stops with him and he understands that. But he's not out here trying to get the job for the long term, I don't think. I think he knows what this is really about. You asked Jim Curtin, friend and former colleague of, of BJ's, about him yesterday. I have the quote in front of me in Jim's response, or at least part of it. He said he's really happy, really proud. He's a guy I spent a lot of years with from Villanova to the academy to the first team. And BJ is a guy who will never be outworked. A guy that has seen it now at every level. I think has an incredible understanding of the U.S. player pool, the experience of a World Cup and working with Greg and anybody that works with BJ, the people in the know, realize just how good he is on the field with players, tactically in the video film room. A huge guy in the development of guys like Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson, all of our homegrowns, and did such a great job turning the Philadelphia Union into what it is. He goes on to say what a good job he's done in his role with the national team. Interestingly, he said that he did speak with him on the phone. And we know that BJ only found out last weekend that he was getting this interim role. And you asked Jim yesterday. So somewhere between finding out and yesterday, he immediately was on the phone with Jim. And Jim gave him, in his words, whatever it's worth, his little bit of advice on taking an interim role. What do you think Jim told him? I don't know. I mean, Jim got that interim job when John Ackworth was fired back in the day and then managed to keep it. I mean, that's not... uh, Callahan said... In his news conference, he's under no illusions that he's getting this for the long term. He's not even thinking about it. And the only thing I'd say is that national team coaching, yes, there's an amount of tactics and amount of X's and O's and stuff. It's a lot of alchemy. It's a lot of intangible stuff, much more than it is at the club level. Lionel Scaloni was not anybody before he got the Argentina job and was sort of thrust into it. I'm not saying BJ Callahan is Lionel Scaloni. He's not. But... Out of all the great managers that Argentina has had in Lionel Messi's career, Scaloni is the one that got the World Cup title. Not anybody any more famous than that. So, you know, is his future the Olympic team head coach? Is it going to be him or Mikey Varas for the Olympic team? That's a question. Is Callahan auditioning to 
be on the staff of whoever comes next. Maybe. I, you know, I think if you've, if you've got this group of players, this group of players knows what it's doing and can go out and win two soccer games against regional opposition on a 68-yard wide field in Las Vegas. As long as they don't go out partying the night before, and I would never ascribe that to any of these players. Of course. You're you're saying that in a way that makes me think you you would. Surely it's not Brendan well, Aronson or Austin Trusty. Who would who not, do you think? Not, not, not. <laughs> it's not, not the Aronsons. Paxton, by the way, is not on either the Nations League or Gold Cup list, which surprised me a little bit. Yeah, it's a shame. I thought he'd be on the Gold Cup. Are there summer training obligations that they want to leave him to to work his way into? I, I don't know. I, I I have not asked yet, and this did not feel like the moment to Yeah. Ask. That's fair. I think that hopefully is the reason, but agree with you otherwise. Um, you mentioned that maybe BJ is queuing himself up to be an assistant for somebody. Could that somebody be Jim? And I guess my real question is, do you think Jim is in the mix still? And does he still want it in the mix for the national team permanent role? I mean, I think Jim is still in the mix. Yes, but he would be third on my list at best of candidates first being jesse marsh those loyal listeners who've heard you before or is it jesse marsh for you yes it's jesse marsh there's nothing and if it's going to be him i don't know what they're waiting for i i genuinely me either what they're waiting for if it's him if it's not him then people like oh my god give us a list of give us an official list of names they're not going to do that they're not Who's number two? Crocker is not going to go on the record saying, here are the three finalists. I, in my opinion, the number two would be Patrick Vieira. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Thierry Henry is out there Uh, campaigning for the job. You don't think, you know, he's not in your top five? No, uh, he is not. And the reason he is not is that um, I don't think he's a very good coach. I think he's a very good television commentator. Very good television. I'm not sure he's actually a very good manager. There's not very much in his record to show that he would be a very good manager. There's not. It's not the most robust portfolio. So you're. I think enough people have seen that by now. So your list is Jesse Marsh, Patrick Vieira, Jim Curtin at the minute. All good choices. You're number one. So the timing of all of this, I agree with you. If it's Jesse Marsh, let's just appoint him. Already, does the fact that he's not filling in with Anthony Hudson's departure, the fact that we need BJ Callahan as an interim, make you feel like it's not him? Or do you think there is some foolhardy reason U.S. soccer is delaying the inevitable? I don't know. I don't. uh, I don't for absolute certainty know. But you have a suspicion. Uh, I can't say it aloud. Last night, the Philadelphia Union defeated Charlotte 1-0 at home at Subaru Park to continue their now eight-game unbeaten streak 
their third win in a row, putting them in third place in the Eastern Conference of MLS. A huge sigh of relief for a lot of fans watching over the past few weeks as the early weeks of the season were a little less convincing at times in either the actual play on the field or just the results of how the games went. How are you, in your mind, attributing the shift in results in recent weeks for the Union? They're out of the Champions League. They're out of the Open Cup. They have time to rest. And very importantly, Jim Curtin is not just playing one formation anymore. I've banged the drum about this repeatedly. Not in Kelsey's manner, but I've had banged the rhetorical drum about this repeatedly. That if you play the same system all the time, you're going to get figured out. So now they're playing more than one system. They're playing a 3-5-2. It's been very effective because it gets the most out of their outside backs. It gets a lot out of Daniel Gazdag. And it frees Leon Flack and Jose Martinez to not just play defense all the time. So it's working very well. Now, one of the reasons why they're playing is because Alejandro Bedoya is not on the field. So they're a little short on midfielders. They are also, with Brandon Craig away at the Under-20 World Cup, short on center backs. So they cannot play a 3-5-2 every game or somebody will get burned out. And I actually, I wrote this in my piece on Wednesday's game. Playing it back-to-back twice in five days troubles me because I don't know who's going to play on Saturday now. You ran all the center backs for 90 minutes. And now you got a problem because you you were not winning the game early enough to sub one of them out and rest them. So I don't know what's going to happen. And that that is a very big warning sign to me. Hmm. When Alejandro is back, Alejandro Bedoya, that is, do you think he goes back to his typical 4-4-2 diamond or are we sticking to the 3-5-2? I think they stay with a 3-5-2 at least through the World Cup, the under-20 World Cup, because the piece that makes the the pieces that make the 4-4-2 go are having McGlynn on the left of the diamond and Bedoya on the right playing two ways. If you don't have, we've we've seen enough over time that if Martinez is at the base and Flock and Bedoya are the two side guys, there's not enough chance creation. So you put Flock in front of two center backs with Martinez or Bedoya and Gazdag, then they've all got enough room to go play because the three center backs are sitting there. Do you think Jack McGlynn who really inserted himself in the starting lineup and was playing very well before he has now been doing very well with the U-20s in Argentina. When he is back and you see us shift into that 4-4-2, I mean, when we, if we were to stay in a 3-5-2, does McGlynn fit into that system? Or is he a 4-4-2 starter only? Sure, you can, you can play Flack McGlynn. They did once. You can play a Flack. They play, did in Colorado. Mm. When they first played the three five two, I think McGlynn was in that was in the was in the middle there, and that was a that was a flatter three than the triangular three in the middle that they now have with Flock and Martinez behind Gazda. But sure, he can play there. Brendan Craig is one of the standout players, I think, for this U twenty squad. He's doing really well in Argentina, but he has not played much, if at all for this union squad. He's got great, you know, record setting center backs in front of him. But the three five two kind of opens up the opportunity for him to get more playing time potentially. Do you see him 
starting over Damian Lowe, or is he still the fourth center back in line? I I think I am certain that the three five two is what is what gets him on the field, and I think everybody at the union knows. I think he comes in for Jack Elliott because mm. he's more of a ball playing passer, and then you put Glesnes and Lowe on either side of him as the real defense first guys. If I can preemptively answer a listener question about why Craig wouldn't play in a 4-4-2, the answer is because you don't play a 19-year-old center back in MLS in a 4-4-2. He's a good player, but the under-20 level to the MLS level in terms of physicality and size is still quite different. In a a 3-5-2, do you see him starting over Jack Elliott or subbing in for him and relieving Jack Elliott when he's fatigued or playing a lot of games in a row? I mean, I think he starts and gives Elliott a night off. Okay. Regardless, he starts in the center of the three so that you can have an experienced guy on either side of him. And then who he spells for the night, you can rotate around. I would imagine we will see that in the League's Cup. Uh, I would imagine we could see it in the Gold Cup, but because the Union are going to be without Damian Lowe and Andre Blake. How you finagle that if Joe Bendix in goal, have you got enough guys sat back in a three five? Like I'm looking at I'm looking at uh a June twenty-first game at Orlando, followed by a June twenty-fourth game against Inter Miami. And I'm looking at that Miami game and saying that's the night where I could see Brandon Craig starting in a three five two with Glesnes and Elliot, or maybe even Nathan Harriel is the right center back on either side of him, depending on how you rotate those two games in a short span. And then Joe Bendick is probably behind them. And you have enough guys who are sitting deep that Bendick doesn't get caught in a ton of breakaways. And I'm not a tactics expert, but that's about as far as my brain can take. I mean, potentially that would be a good time for him to come in and, and get some starts by necessity of, of where everyone will be um, with national team duties then because he'll be returning from what has already been a pretty successful U-20 World Cup. They're now entering the stage that we've been knocked out at the past however many World Cups. What is this, the fourth time in a row? Four straight quarterfinals, no semis since 1989. And let's see. And also, by, by the way, um, I would think Craig plays in the league's cup. Yes. Okay. So, so we now know they talk, that they can talk it up as much as they want. But when Brandon Craig started in the league's cup, that's that's your answer. That's going to get the national team people watching. So we now have confirmed, by the way, the the U twenties will be playing Uruguay on Sunday in Argentina for that match, which should be an interesting, an interesting match. They have yet to concede a goal. They've been looking convincing, I think. But I admittedly don't know anything about this Uruguay U-20 squad. Well, that's why I'm looking it up right now. Yes. Let us know. Uruguay beat Gambia 1-0 with a second-half goal after both teams took a red card, which is <laughs> incredible. probably fine from the United States' perspective. Uh, before that, they, as I vamp in real time as I love to do. They beat Iraq 4-0. They lost to England 3-2. And they beat Uruguay. They beat Tunisia 1-0. Mm. 
Hmm. Interesting. And that England game had a at least what one, two, at least two of Brendan Aronson's present or past or future teammate at Leeds United. Oh, really? Have you watched yeah. that England team play? I haven't caught anyone outside yeah. of the U.S. Yeah. yeah, I have not watched any of it outside the United States. It was French Open tennis season, so that is how I am oh, passing my time. Lovely. Have you had any word from Brendan after the close of a tumultuous Premier League season and the news that he has a relegation clause in his contract? I thought he was definitely going to be staying. Now I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not, I, I have not spoken with him yet. No, I don't know where he is in the world at the moment. On a beach, hopefully. Um, well, he hasn't had a ton of time yet for that. I would imagine that after the Nations League, that is when he will go to Sea Isle and hang out with Jason out, Kelsey, which he needs <laughs> and his brother. Speaking of brothers, there's two sets of brothers for you, the Aronsons and the Kelseys. No, I, I haven't talked to him. I hope to at some point during this Nations League camp. But other than that, I don't I don't know. The only thing I'm certain of is that if somebody called me fat and then turned around and complained that uh, I was being disloyal to them by getting on a train out of town right after my last game of a loan spell where my transfer clause was not going to be activated, I might see a little hypocrisy in that, but that's just me. You, you, you boo him. You boo him to heck. You call him words that I'm not going to repeat on your, on your show because it's a family-friendly show. And then you turn around and you complain that he's being disloyal. You're you're from Philadelphia. You tell me how that works. No, I th- I think that Philadelphia. It, there's a there's a difference, and this is for to get into. If you're from the UK, please stop listening here. So, Philadelphia fans and fans in I'm general in the don't US, stop listening because it's not that different. I, it's not that different here. Well, it isn't. It is and it isn't. It's not different in booing players or letting them know your displeasure and that is not only philadelphia i think american sports fans in general it's not unique to just one country but there is a a strange is entitlement the right word where you know like the whole thing in the hotel lobby was so hilarious to me where I just, I don't know that there's the same level of expectation from players in the U.S. You know, we we are aware that these are franchises. We are aware that these are millionaire athletes that ultimately don't care about us. We are aware that certain players are here for a year or didn't want to be here at all. You know, we don't imagine as commonly, in my opinion, that people like Weston McKenney like bleed leads colors at night. Like, of course he doesn't. And why would he? I, I just I push back on me, but I think that. there's a, I think there's a little bit of a difference. I, 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 I kind of rather that note with no expertise at all, especially wading into what might be your favorite Philadelphia sports team of the bunch. The Sixers. You know where I'm going. Ben Simmons. No. James Harden, get out of town, but oh no, we really didn't mean it. You're a traitor for leaving. I mean, did they sing? Do you do you think the level of abuse is the same? No, I don't think the level of abuse is the same. It's the principle of you're hounding a guy and then hounding him a second time for leaving when he was on loan here for six months, signed by a manager who you fired a week after 
signing him. I think most and people. That's where, I, that's where I look at. I look at. I wonder is is. Look, some number of people with Harden will say, "I'm fine with him being gone." I think most some people, people. Most people probably. Well, then don't boo him when he comes back. Just leave him alone. I'm okay with leaving him alone. That's why you don't work in sports talk radio, and neither do I. Uh, well, no one is worse than our sports talk radio. We really might outdo, I think, the equivalent in the UK here. Truly, I do think that our sports talk radio is... Um, we, we have much more in common with the people over there than we think. Prob- okay, fine, probably. But West and McKinney, specifically, was the target of abuse that felt to me outsized to what was admittedly not the best loan spell no he did not play well but he he, the Leeds fans learned what the u.s national team fan base have always known which is that he doesn't play well when tyler adams is not on the field with him weston has said this aloud which is as you know one of the finer things he's ever said well he didn't say he doesn't play well he just said that he needs tyler to run for him (laughs) as i said one of the finer things that weston mckenney has said over the years do you feel for I, him? I, Do you feel some kind yes, of... Yes, I feel, I feel for him because he wasn't there to win anybody's affection. And so he leaves and people get mad that he left town immediately. I mean, what was why he supposed he, to do? Is he supposed to like... Why wouldn't he the way he was treated? Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I thought that was a little bit funny. Yeah, I, I, I just think that the abuse was a little bit outsized and social media is one thing and it's a coward's enterprise to like, you know, go on social media and be like this player, this, this player, that, but in the stadium and outside the stadium, when he's like taking pictures with kids to like yell at him that he's a fat C word is just next level. You know, I think you're a loser if you're doing that. Don't you? I do. I I do too. I will say to your vast international audience, (laughs) Um, every so often, every so often someone, from- if, if you're, if you, if those of you listening from other parts of the world are interested in learning more about this strange alien planet that Meg and I inhabit, <laughs> go and do a Google search for Scott Rowland and the Phillies wall of fame. This they are me. stirring up <laughs> stuff from what, 20 years ago now. <laughs> so you're trying to tell me. That Philadelphia is worse than Leeds, just as bad. It's probably. I don't. I don't know if it's just as bad. Well, here's the thing. I don't know where it actually ranks because, as I've said a million times, I'm not from here. You would know that better than I would. I don't know how to answer your question of is Philadelphia better or worse, or or equal. Because if I say it's equal, then some people and say, "What do you mean we're equal to somewhere else? We're unique." And if I say it's worse, people say, what do you mean we're worse than, you know, I'll let you be the judge. Do you think Weston McKenney, the the Premier League, and I think playing in England in general is kind of like this. I think that's where most players want to end up. I think those are the teams they grew up watching. I think career wise, that's where they'd like to be if given the option. This loan for Weston was his first loan in England and in the Premier League. Do you think he was blindsided by the level of... I don't know. I, I don't know if pressure because I think it's almost a trope that people they're like Jesse didn't realize there'd be pressure, but do, there was quite a bit of personalized attack 
directed at Weston specifically. Do you think he was blindsided by that? And is that something that you imagine he experienced in Italy or Germany? I think there's plenty of pressure at Juventus. It's Juventus. I don't, I don't know how personal it was or wasn't for him on a regular basis. I don't know him very well. But on an actual serious, not snarky talking about social media criticism note, I think all of this is an instructive reminder that Weston McKinney, the soccer player, does well in certain systems, but needs to be in those systems sometimes to do well. Hmm. And even if he was trying to be funny and malign about needing Tyler Adams to be on the field to do all the running behind him so that Weston could freelance. Unfortunately, I think there was a little more truth in that line than anybody wanted to admit. Last question on Leeds, and then I have another question, and then I'll let you go soon. Brendan has a release clause in his contract for his development and his personal happiness. Do you want him to stay at Leeds in the championship and progress at that level? Or do you want him to get the hell out of Yorkshire Dodge and go to the Bundesliga or something? I think as a player, as what he could be at a championship level for a big team in the championship, I think he could be very good. Is it worth everything else he's going to have to put up with? I don't know. Uh, Graham Smith of the Yorkshire Evening Post, who I think you've interacted with before, did the Yorkshire Evening Post's equivalent of the Inquirer's stay or go thing where you go through every player and ask whether they're gone. Like 80% of the guys he said were gone. Yeah. Parents included. So. Oh, interesting. How many guys are gone? At some point, somebody's got to stick around and play. I think, I think Aronson would likely go because if somebody comes along with a big check for him, in Germany or whatever, then you take it. But I think soccer-wise, he could do very well if he were to be a regular player really getting after it at the championship level in England. It's a big if. We don't know who the manager's going to be. We don't know this, that, and the other thing. And if if Milan and Inter... I, I'd love to see Aronson in Spain, but we probably never will because the foreign player restrictions there are so tight and he doesn't have a European passport or access to one as far as I know. If Milan and Inter are really sniffing around American players, Balogun is one I've heard. They were, Milan was around Pulisic for a minute. Didn't. Imagine. I don't think I don't think it would happen with Milan because they've got Leao. But my goodness, imagine Brendan Aronson playing for Milan or Inter. How much of an impact that would make. Yeah, I've convinced myself next season is the year of USMNT guys in Italy. I'm all in on everyone moving CBS to Syria. Would <laughs> CBS would be over the moon. I, I'd love to see it in Spain because there are so many teams in Spain past Barcelona and Real Madrid and Atletico. Uh, Sevilla, Betis, Real Sociedad. Uh, uh, Valencia is a basket case, so they'd be another good one. <laughs> so many teams in Spain with huge fan bases, great style, great individual players where American players would be fantastic. They just can't get in the door. Yeah, I don't think... I think we should spread our guys away from England, personally, for a variety of reasons. I don't know if that's the best league for... You'll get in trouble for saying that on Twitter. Well, I mean, I don't think it has to be where everyone ends up. And some of them are doing very well there. I'd like to see more guys in Spain and Italy. Or Germany, to be honest, which which could be happening. I think a lot of Bundesliga clubs would gladly take them, but they've got to figure out if you're taking a guy from the Premier League, excuse me, you got to have a lot of money in the bank. and I'm not sure they do. Yeah. 
which brings me to the next question I was going to ask you about. So speaking of um, people getting abused by English fans, Christian Pulisic was booed onto the field for what could be his last Chelsea performance. He played like seven minutes, missed one chance. It's it's not entirely new behavior. I don't think it's deserved his you know, he certainly has contributed to the club. He has one year left in his contract. I lay awake at night, Christian, if you're listening to this, don't even think. Do not even consider staying. First of, first of all, if, if you are listening to this Christian Pulisic, identify yourself to Meg. And if you're if you're if you're inclined after that to identify yourself to me, you can feel free to do that. We'll get you in the paper real fast. Have you interviewed him for the paper? Not directly. He knows who I am. I mean, but not the Chelsea people know who I am. I I'm never had a direct opportunity and you know he's got I'll, I'll go i'll take people behind the curtain for a minute here on a wild detour before returning to the subject at hand which is where Pulisic goes next i get pitched every once in a while i'm sure you do too by pr agencies representing companies that have these players as their you know spokespeople you want to get an interview with this player or that player on behalf of this sponsor and i call a pr person and i say look i'd always love to get these interviews but i never do them on the condition that I have to mention the sponsor's name. That's a very inside journalism thing, admittedly. But if they want to buy an ad in the Inquirer, they can buy an ad in the Inquirer. They want to buy an ad from you, they can buy an ad from you. Some people take them. Lots of people take them. It's fine. I don't begrudge anybody who takes them. But most of the PR people who I work with on a regular basis know by now that I'm not going to take them because the it's admittedly old school journalism ethics, but you're not, the point is not to promote somebody else's brand free of charge. I think the only, the only time I've seen in the soccer world, really it get taken. Once I did it with the Muises when they launched the beer. Mew, because the USA. People, what was the name of the beer? The, right. Mew, USA was the name of the beer. The, the, the people who were pitching it knew me well enough that they did not condition it on that. Mm. I mentioned it along the way as a number, as one of a number of sort of, business ventures that Sam was reasonable. Mike Jensen some years ago got an offer to interview Pelé on, on, from Subway. That you take. If it's Pelé, you, you take it and you yeah. sponsor. Other than that, yeah. that's... Anyway, about Christian Pulisic. He's going to leave Chelsea. He has to leave Chelsea. They've got 50 guys on that roster and 30 of them have to leave. He's going to go. Yeah, they don't even fit in the locker room. Get out of there. It's, it's fine. It, but it's not even just for him personally. He knows he's going to go. It's just a question of is it going to be... Is it? Is it going to be somewhere that pays his contract as it currently is, which is Newcastle, which will bring some criticism with it, I would say, fair or not, and maybe fair or maybe not, but that's... Because of the Saudi ownership? Yeah, yeah, people are going to disagree about that. Um, or is, it going to go, is he going to leave England? I don't know that he wants to leave England. I think he's very comfortable there, and that's part of what's at play here. I agree with you. I I think he likes likes living in London, specifically Newcastle yeah. is quite a different story, in terms of staying in England but being in a different location. I like the idea of him at Newcastle personally, Saudi ownership ownership aside, and then that gives the opportunity for him to have revenge performances against his former club that booed him in his last seven minutes appearing if, for them. If he's gonna if he's gonna play, he would. I think he would. I do think that he, when he's not in a roster as crowded as Chelsea, but even at Chelsea, when he's able to stay healthy, and that's the other thing about being in the Premier League for him, is that 
style-wise and maybe even size-wise, he might do better in a in a different league that's not as physical. But if he does stay in the Premier League, I think that he proves himself capable again and again of working his way into a starting lineup. Personally, I think the reason he hasn't done that most recently under Frank Lampard is because he's leaving and they know it. So why even bother? I have Before I get off the air, I have a favor to ask of you. I was listening to one of your recent shows. I forget who it was with. It might have been with me. It was something about the union. Okay. Pronounce the name of the number three striker, the last name of the number three striker on the union's roster. Ua? He's the number two. No, number th- Carranza's number one. Who's number three? Quinn Sullivan? No. Chris Donovan? Yes. You pronounced it, and I, I can't do this because I'm not from here. You pronounced it Donovan. Donovan. Once. How does he pronounce it? Am I doing it wrong? I, I don't know. I don't know how he pronounced it, but it's you pronounced it in the classic, like you pronounce it as if you were channeling the spirit of my former boss who went to LaSalle and grew up in Delco and now lives in Harvard. Like the most oh no. Philadelphia Irish Catholic pronunciation of that word. And you weren't like thinking twice about it. You were just, Donovan? just in rhythm. Yes. Well, and I just like it. My head exploded. I'm like, I I can't do that. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing, but you don't sound like you're from Delco. (laughs) It's a local affect, and I get that. (laughs) I can't pronounce. um, I think you might have done it with Landon, mentioning his name. Landon Donovan. And I just, I heard it the way you pronounced it, and my head exploded. The Delco has a way of coming out. You're from here. It's fine. I just had to ask you. Well, it's Donovan. Like, I can't do it. I, I'm too, I just can't. Even if I was from Baltimore, I don't know if I'd be. How would they say it in Baltimore? Would it be similar? They've got. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, they. They've got a specific dialect and. I I can't, I can't quite, I can't quite do Baltimore dialect either. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I'm not very good at doing dialects in general. I'm not good at impersonating accents. So I'm, I had to, I had to ask you just, I could not, I could not help. So. It was probably a podcast with you. I'm trying to think who else I talked to the union about. Or it was, or it was a reference to land something. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. But. Do you have parting words of wisdom or advice for whoever is out there listening, whether it's Christian Pulisic or Landon Donovan, um, BJ Callahan? No, no, I don't. I don't really. What's the game you're most looking forward to in the next week? Tennis or soccer or otherwise? Uh, Philly Montreal is fun because I get to talk with my friends from Montreal and the French language guys are coming into town to call the game, which is nice, which they haven't done in years. I'm going to Gotham, San Diego. That's going to be a lot of fun. Record crowd for Gotham Red Bull Arena, Alex Morgan in town, Gotham first place in the NWSL. And then... Uh, Weekend after that, I'm going to do some basketball. Maddie Segrist's New York homecoming with the Dallas Wings against the New York Liberty. You get around. You're all over the eastern seaboard these days. D.C., New York. It's not very far to get around. (laughs) It's not very far to get around, which is why I'm able to do it, but it's nice. It is, yeah. Those are are some big games, and I have kept you more than 30 minutes past the 30 minutes you agreed to. So with that, Jonathan – Thank you, as always. Where can people find you if they haven't already found you? Uh, at the bar at Grand Cafe with you. 
or on Twitter at the goalkeeper and at inquirer.com slash jtannenwald is where all my work is.